Okay, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going, to get, we're going to get rolling. And so we typically preach through books of the Bible. So we started at the beginning of Ephesians, and we're just rolling through it. And we are to a four-verse little section that is forcing us in to kind of deal with this issue of parenting. And so I want to let you know just right out of the, out of the gate that this is how I view parenting, that parenting is really pastoring. This is what you're called to do as a parent. So I just want to let this cat out of the bag now, that, that we view parenting as pastoring. And so now I, I want to specifically ask dads in here, because this is going to be the weight of this passage this morning, is going to fall back on the dads again today. And so, so I want to ask dads, but moms, like the, there's wider implications here, but I, I want to ask dads in here, do you see your role in your home as a pastor? Do you see that? Uh, do you see that when, when God has said in, in Ephesians 5 that you're the head of your wife, that the, the wider implications, and this is what Paul is walking us into today, is that you're not just head over your wife, you're head over your family. And, and part of being a head means that you're a good pastor for your family. So, so here's how this plays out. Imagine tomorrow if you were to become one of the pastors of Stonegate Church, and your wife is like, oh no, we're leaving then, right? And, and so imagine if you were to become one of the pastors here, and imagine the questions that you would be asking. Like you would be asking questions like, what do we need to be praying for this group of people? What do we need to be teaching this group of people? Like over the next year, what are hopes and dreams? Where do we need to go over the next year with this group? What needs to happen here? Okay, these are, these are questions you would ask if you were pastoring here. And those are the exact same questions that we should be asking in the context of the home, where we are a pastor. So dads, let me just kind of throw this out there again. Do you see yourself as a pastor in your home? That's where we're going. This is the call of God on your life. This is your God-given role and responsibility and privilege in your home is to be a good pastor. So the question is not if you're one, it's are you a good one? Okay, so, so let me kind of preface this morning as we talk about parenting with, with four different little things here. Number one, to our single men in the room that, that you do not have a, a wife yet, I, I want to um, just say this to you up front. I think this applies to you today. And, and my hope is, is that God would stir in you aspirations that are biblical, that you would not run from commitment, but you'd run to commitment in your life. This is one of God's means to grow you. And so my hope is that God would stir in you aspirations to one day find, or first of all, for you to become the sort of man that we're talking about, one day find a godly lady that you can marry and serve and pastor. And that you would have aspirations to have a family that you can give your life away to and pastor so you can leave a legacy of God lovers in your wake. Okay, that's my hope for our, our, our men in the room that aren't married. For our ladies in the room that aren't married, my hope is that God would give you a resolve today to remain single until God gives you this sort of a man. You'd have a resolve for that. That you would cast the right man into the role of husband. Because you're casting a pastor. You're... you're you're casting a head there, right? So, so that you would have good aspirations and you would have a resolve to wait for God to bring that man to you. For parents in the room, my hope is that today would give you some good aspirations, that it would cause us to repent, that it would cause us to run to the gospel, to claim that over our past failures, and that we'd be empowered by the gospel to live differently as we look forward. So my hope is that God would stir in you the heart of a pastor for your family. 
Okay, now, now last thing for all of us in here, this is, this is across the board universal. Parenting is bigger than just having kids that, that you birth and that God gives you. Okay, there's a bigger picture that it's more diverse than that in the scriptures. In the scriptures, that there is this idea of spiritual parenting. That, that like Paul, that, that we would all say this, that we would all have these sort of relationships where Paul would look around and he would look at Timothy and say, that is a son in the faith. That's what he is. And I've invested my life and I've pastored him. I have shepherded him. And he is growing in the faith. And so whether or not we have kids or don't have kids, we're old or young, that we would all have people in our life that we are discipling, that we are pastoring, that we are intentionally pouring our life into, that are younger, right? So this needs to be all of us in here. So this has a wide-ranging kind of implications across this room, regardless of where you stand today. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, let's read this. Starts like this, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Verse two, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay, now let me just say this right off the cuff, that we need these words in our suburban culture. We need this. Okay, now when I read the book of Exodus, I laugh all the time. I just encourage you to read it sometime. Because you know what you're going to think as you read it? When you read about the people of Israel, you're going to continually think, what idiots. This is what I think every time I read the book of Exodus, right? At the end of Exodus, Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments from God. And the people get fearful, right? And so they they, they get all their gold together. They throw it in a furnace, melt it, and then mold it into a calf and worship that thing. That's a freak show right there, right? I mean, you've got to be crazy to do that. Now, okay, let me back up. And you know what I think? If, if the people um, in the book of Exodus were looking forward at our culture and in, in our suburban landscape, I think they would look at us and say, what freaks? What are they doing? And, and here's why. Because we have formed and fashioned our kids. We have placed them on the altar and we bow down to them. So parents, I want you just to hear this. A dominant idol in our culture, in this suburban landscape, are kids. It is possible to love your kids improperly. It is possible to do that. See, this is how this verse would go in our culture. Parents, obey your kids. Give them every want and desire they have, right? Live vicariously through them, right? Be the star athlete that you never were through them, right? Date all the people that you could never date through them. Be all that you weren't through. This is how this would go in our culture. And here's the problem. The end of that verse would go like this. It wouldn't have a promise. It would have a curse attached to it though, right? This is our problem. That In our culture, we have formed and fashioned kids, set them on the altar, and parents are worshiping there. Okay, that is sin. And parents, here's the thing. If that is you this morning, and that's going to be a lot of us in this room, it's just the air we breathe. We're doing it not even knowing it. If that is us this morning, as the Holy Spirit speaks into this, I just want to plead with you to repent of that. You'll crush your kids and yourself along the way. So in the home, God has not designed your kids to be primary. That is not where your kids need to be. Not, I mean, it's for their sake, right? It's not where God has designed them to be. In the home, this is the order of God's design. 
God is the most important person in your home. This is God's design. This is where God fits in your home. Everything revolves around him. There is only one thing big enough in the universe to keep your family intact. It has enough gravity to do that. God is it. So, so God is in the center. What he says we do, what he says don't do, we stay away from. God is at the center. Everything is orbiting around that person, that God. God is there. Jesus is there. Okay, now here's the next part of this. In your home, the marriage is the most important relationship. Okay, now we get in this. In your home, your kids are not your most important relationship. They come behind several things. Okay, if you go back and you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, or, or verse 31, God did not say this. A man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his kids, become one flesh with her kids. That is not what that says. It says that a man's going to leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Dad's in here. You are one flesh with your wife, not your kids. So dads, we need to be really clear on the priorities. That God is in the center. He's one. Our wives are behind that. That's the priority for our lives and in our homes. Wives, and here's the thing, wives, I think this struggle in particular runs deeper with women. I mean, I think it's just a bent that God has created you with. That in your home, God is central. First and foremost, we submit and we obey to God. Your husband is behind that. Kids fall somewhere down the way. Okay? This is the order of the home. And listen, in your home, kids place a constant pull on you. And it's not that they're intentionally doing this, but here's what happens. This is just the the nature of, of raising kids is they throw a rope around mom and they throw a rope around dad. And, and just by way of them living, them wanting, them just being a sinful little human being in your home, they are constantly pulling dad toward them and mom toward them. And mom and dad, listen to me here. If you do not constantly keep a hold of that rope and pull back, Your marriage is in great peril. And kids in the room, you need to be really faithful not to pull at your parents. Daddy's the best thing you can give your kids is a good marriage. That's the best thing you can give them. More than you need to love them, you need to prioritize your marriage. This is where this starts here. And listen, your kids are going to constantly pull at that. Okay, you want to know why so many 50-year-olds get divorces? It's because their kids have pulled hard enough and long enough without resistance back. And when their kids leave the home, there is not gravity. The gravity is not there. The kids were the gravity. And when they leave, relationships disintegrate. Welcome to a 50-year-old getting a divorce. Moms, your kids are going to leave someday. This is a good thing, right? We want them to do that, right? At 18, we're going to kick them out if they don't, right? Okay, so we want that to happen. But if they are the center of your home, your home will fall apart when it happens. Daddies, you're hearing that? That you've got to keep God in the center. He is the only thing big enough to keep your home together. Okay, so in the home, God is the most important person. Your marriage is the most important relationship. Now, kids... It's going to start at talking at children here. And this is what it's going to say to children. Obey and honor 
This is the commandment here. Okay, now when it talks about kids, we're all somebody's baby. Unless you're Adam and Eve, you're somebody's kid, right? Okay, now this passage is specifically talking about kids that are under the direct authority of their home. I'd define that like this. If you're on their payroll, under their roof, you're under direct authority. And here is what God says for people under the direct authority of their parents. He says this, obey them. This is what we do. If you're a teenager in the room, this is God's call on your life. Obey your parents. Okay, this is what obedience means. I think we get a little bit confused with this sometimes. Obedience means immediately and joyfully following the instruction of our parents. Yeah, immediately is a key word there. Joy is a key. Okay, so think about immediately. That does not mean when you feel like it. That does not mean in a little while, right? That means now. That means they said it and we do it immediately. This is what obedience is. Obedience is not a delayed response. It is an immediate reaction to an instruction. And it's joyful. This is not, they have a bigger gun than I do, right? This is not, well, okay, he's got the paddle, so I better do it now. This is a joyful response to their instruction. It's immediate and it's joyful. It doesn't mean that you have to love it. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything they command, but it means this is your call, that you obey. You immediately and joyful respond to their instruction. Okay, this is the call of God on your life, obedience. Okay, now he gives the second word, honor. And with honor, Paul widens the gap here. Okay, so honor is bigger than obedience. Obedience is a way that we honor. It's one way. Okay, so honor changes as we grow older. So this is your definition of honor. Honor is a disposition that knows God has placed our parents in our life for our good. It's a disposition that, that we know that God has done this, that our parents are given to us by God for our good, even if they're not very good ones. They're given us by God for our good. Okay, so honor is a disposition. It's wider than obedience. So honor changes with time. If you're under the direct authority of your, of your parents, on their paycheck, on the payroll, under their roof, obedience is the way you honor. If you're 25 and you're out from under the, the, the direct authority of your parents, the way you honor them, if, you, if you've had good parents that have raised you to know the Lord, the, the way you honor them when you leave the house is not to lose your mind. You, you bring dishonor on your parents when you live like a prodigal with no regard for God or anyone else. Okay, when we're 35 and we're married, I mean, is it okay to bring up in-laws? Okay, good. I mean, y'all know that the difference between in-laws and outlaws, right? Outlaws are wanted, okay? Okay, so that was a joke. Seriously, it was a joke, all right? Okay, so, so here's what that means. When we get married, we not only now have one set of parents, we have two sets of parents. So, so honoring is a disposition. It is a disposition that even, listen to this, even when you have to push back, there is a proper tone and a proper attitude, right? That, that we won't just say anything and we won't say anything in the wrong way. That this is what it means to honor. That, that we realize there's a disposition and a posture of our life toward our parents, it's a posture that respects them, that knows that God has placed them in our life for our good. This is what it means to honor. Okay, how about when we're 40, 50, 60, and now for the first time we're seeing our parents age, right? And so now we are starting to become the parents of our parents. That's a difficult day, huh? 
See, honor at that point, now, now it's changed. It's this disposition that says, I am going to take care of them. And that's not just a responsibility, that's a privilege. This is what it means to honor. So it's a changing thing as you grow older. Okay, now I want you to look at this in, in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, I want all teenagers, if you've got your Bible open, to underline that in the Lord. Because here's what Paul's saying there. The way you honor and obey your parents is a direct reflection of how you honor and obey Jesus. The two are not disconnected. They are together. And, and, and I've been in student ministry long enough, eight years, to know that most kids would love to disconnect those, right? That we would love to kind of draw a line between those and say, here's God, here's parents. Let's just kind of keep those. But you can't do that. They are connected. So, so teenagers, in the home, under the authority, on the payroll. Okay, so that means that we have got to obey them. And the way we obey them is a direct reflection of the way we obey God. So let me ask you this if you're a teenager. If all we did was watch you in your home with your parents, the attitude that you have, how you immediately and joyfully respond to them, if all we did was watch that, what would it say about your relationship with God? And teenagers, listen to this. It says everything about it. For those of us who are now out from under the authority, but now our posture is we, we respect them and honor them. We've got a, 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 res, a posture that, that communicates that to them. What, what does it look like in your life with your parents? Because the way you honor your parents for the rest of your life, this is a lifelong calling. The way you honor your parents is a direct reflection of how you honor God. So, so if all we were to do is look at how you respond to your parents out from underneath their authority, how you respond to their authority in your life and, and how you respond in the posture of life. What would it say about your relationship with God? 30-year-olds, it says everything about it. 40-year-olds, it says everything about it. 60-year-olds in here, it says everything about it. We obey in the Lord. Okay, and then he's going to give a couple of reasons that we do this. He's going to give three of them real quick here. Number one, he says it's right. Right? Okay, so, so we obey in the Lord because this is right. And he's just appealing to nature here. He's just making a fact about just what God implants in hearts. That it is right to obey the Lord. And listen, you can watch animals and this happens. Flip it onto the Discovery Channel and watch the little baby cub follow the little mama around, or the actually big mama around, right? Okay, if, if that little baby cub gets out of line, the, the mama slaps him, right? Yeah, this is, this is just a natural way of life. This is why Bill Cosby said, I brought you into the world and what? I can take you out, right? This is just a natural way. Romans 1 would even take it this far and say this, that, that you have to suppress what God has put in you to disobey your parents, to willfully walk away from your parents. That is a suppression of what God has put in you. So it's right. It's just a, a way that God has made you. It's what he's put in you, okay? But it's not just right, it's commanded. This is a command, honor your father and your mother. This is from Exodus 20, a 10 commandment, where God looks at the people of Israel and gives them 10 commands, 10 things to live by. And listen, these commands span every culture and every context. And he is looking at children and saying, this is your command, now 3,000 years ago, today and forever, honor and obey your parents. This, this is the command. And listen, in the Old Testament, this stuff was serious. You didn't go to time out in the Old Testament. They drugged you in front of the people and killed you in the Old Testament. This is how serious this is to God. Okay, but it's not just commanded and it's not just right. It's also rewarded. Look at verse 3. 
that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And this is not, this is not a guarantee that you're going to live to 80. Okay, so that's not what it's talking about. It is talking about a general principle that follows right living. General principles that follow a, a way of honoring and obeying your parents. And it's saying basically the general principle is the, the quality of your life will be richer and the quantity of your life longer as you do this. It's just a general principle for the way life works. And Proverbs pick this up. You read Proverbs, you see this all over the place. Let me just give you a couple of examples up on the screen for you. Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Proverbs 4.10. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Proverbs 8. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those. Happy are those. Quality of life is better for those who keep my ways. Proverbs 30. The, and this was scary for me, right? That the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. I'm scared, right? I'm obeying right now. Okay, so you get the idea here. And teenagers, I want you to grab this and then we're going to move on to parents. Teenagers, God made you. God made you. So, so here's what we can know that God, kind of from this fact that God made us, that he also knows what's best for you. God made you, he knows what's best for you. And when he commands you to honor and obey your parents, he is not robbing your joy during your teenage years. That is not what God is doing. He is directing you to your joy during your teenage years. I mean, are we getting that? That this is not God trying to say, well, let me make life miserable for them. It is God saying, I want them to experience life now. This is how it's done. So it's rewarded. The, the quality of your life will be richer, the quantity longer as you obey this principle, that, that you honor your parents. Okay, verse four, we make the switch. Parents, this is about to get really weighty really fast. Parents, when, when God commands your kids to submit to you, to obey you, to live under your authority, you know what that means for you? That you're held accountable for what you command them. That you're held accountable for the authority that you have in their life. Authority always equals responsibility. And we said this a couple of weeks ago, but everybody loves um, leadership and, until you feel the weight of leadership, Right? And so this is how it is in the home, that, that you have the responsibility that God has made your kids and they are his kids before they're your kids. They're on loan to you and God has given them to you to raise them up, to bring them up. This is God's command for you. And so parents, right off the gate, right out of the gate, I think we need to feel the weight of this, that God is saying to you, you're responsible for your kids. Okay, now look at verse four. First word, fathers. Now I want to stop there and just make a note here. Paul's primary emphasis in this passage is to throw the weight on the dads. Okay, now moms, let me just speak to this for you for just a second. This does not mean that your role is not crucial in the home. Your role is vital. For If you're a mom in here, chances are you're going to spend the majority of time with your kids in the formative years growing up. Your role is absolutely essential 
to shaping your kids into godly men and women. Parents, or dads. But here's what he's saying. He did not use fathers and mothers. He did not use parents. Paul said, fathers. This is primarily daddy's responsibility. It's not solely your responsibility, but it's primarily. You don't have to do every bit of the teaching, but this is everything flows from your leadership. You're primarily responsible for your home. And this is the same idea that we looked at in Genesis chapter three a couple of weeks ago, that when God comes knocking on your door, just like he did Adam, he asked for the head of the home. It was Eve that ate the fruit first, right? I mean, this was her deal. But when God comes knocking, his first question was not to Eve. He asked questions to Eve, but it wasn't first. His first question when he came knocking on their door was, Dad, husband, head, where are you? And daddy's in the room. This is your question for the morning. When, when we talk parenting, bringing up your kids, God's primary question, first question goes to you. So he says, fathers. First word. And then he says this. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, so here's what he's saying. Fathers, this is your, this is your commandment. This is what you're to do. And, and moms, when I say fathers, there's wider implications. So just come in here with us. I'm going to use the terminology of fathers just to throw the weight where it needs to be for this passage. So he says, fathers, this is your responsibility. Bring up your children. This is what fathers do. They bring up their kids. Fathers, you bring up your kids. This is your God-given role and responsibility in the home. Okay, now, do y'all remember when you became a parent? For those of you who have kids, you remember that day? I can't get that day out of my mind, right? There, was a, there were several things that struck me as really odd in that, in that moment. Here was the first one. And I'm just going to use football analogies to not gross anybody out, right? I'm trying to think, how does a football take that route? And I'm looking at the doctor trying to call audibles, right? Like, we need to do something different here. This is, there's no way this could work. Okay, so that was the first thing. The second thing is that, that they take a baby and they hand... Like for, for me, they handed Hannah to, to me and said, this is, this is yours. <laughs> That's a scary moment, right? Okay. So, so here was the third one. A day and a half later, this, this is probably the most terrifying of all of them. A day and a half later, they put that little thing in a car seat and send you home with it. There are no instructions in the box. There's not like a tag attached to their toe to show you how to do this. There's none of that, right? I mean, you have to go to school for years to get a job, but not this job. Men have to do very little for this job. I mean, women get tortured for about three hours. Men, nothing though, right? I mean, this is an amazing deal here. And so luckily, Paul gives us some direction. Like he kind of attaches something here for us that we can grab onto to say, okay, these are things we should actively be doing or not doing. Okay, here's the first one. He says this. Do not provoke your kids to anger. This is number one. Dads, here's the little instructions attached to their toe right here. Don't provoke them to anger. Now, I, I think it's interesting that Paul starts with this. I mean, I think he's pressing on a family nerve here because due to sin in your family, there is a tendency for family relationships to dissolve into anger. 
Now, if we were to do just an informal poll across this room and ask people to raise hands that have serious family strain, it would be an overwhelming amount in this room. There's a propensity to this in the family. And so Paul is automatically warning us, don't go there. Don't, Don't get there as a family. I mean, don't move there. Okay, so daddies, here's what he's telling you. That as a parent, there is a tendency in you to get angry at your kids. I mean, that, that is in you. Okay, now I want to drill down a little bit deeper and just make a couple of comments on this. I don't think hardly any of our anger is God-centered. I think 99% of our anger is man-centered and self-centered. We're not angry because they have offended God. We're angry because they've embarrassed us. They've inconvenienced us. They've disrupted us. And listen, that is sin that needs to be repented of. We need to anguish over our kids, not just be angry at them. So he's telling fathers, listen, there's a propensity in you to get angry at your kids. Now, here's the other side of this. And by the way, you see this all across the room, because if we were to ask, what are some of the deepest wounds in your life? Many of those would come from your mom and dad. You know, I mean, this is how this plays out. And dads, listen to this. Anger will smother every other emotion that you have for your kids. It will smother love. It will smother, it'll smother everything when you have this self-centered anger coming out of you. Okay, now here's the other side of this, is not only do parents have a tendency to get angry at kids, kids have a tendency to get angry at parents, right? I mean, probably on the way here this morning. Okay, now now, let me give you three reasons why I think kids many times get embittered against and provoked at parents. Here's number one, hypocrisy. Daddies, the, the worst idea you could ever have is to get your kids up out of bed, right? I mean, like you're pouring water on them, you're threatening with everything you've got in the house, to get them out of bed, to get them in the car, to bring them to church, to carry your Bible in here with you, to worship real well. I mean, you're singing great. You're listening to a sermon like this and then to walk out of here with absolutely no regard for God. It's a bad idea. Chances are you're going to embitter your kids against you and the church if that's you. And this does not mean that you're a perfect parent. Here's what it means. Look at this, parents. It means that you are a repenting parent. That's what it means. That when you fail to keep God central in your heart and in your life and in your family, that you repent of those things. And you don't just do those privately. That you bring your kids in when you've wronged against them, when you have sinned against them, and you repent before them. If you do not repent consistently in front of your kids, you are going to embitter them against you. I mean, they are not stupid, right? I mean, they can see when hypocrisy happens. Here's the the second thing. When we overprotect our kids. Okay, as parents, we we have the responsibility to protect our kids. So I'm not arguing for underprotection here, but I'm just saying when you overprotect them, you stir up anger in them. That you have got to give them, listen to this parents, you have got to give them freedom to fail. If you always provide safety for them and you always keep them from failing, if all they do is succeed because of you, you're actually making them immune to the gospel. I mean, this is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is we're all failures apart from God. This is the gospel. And so as soon as your kids can know that, the better. This, this is what creates in them a thirst for the gospel. So it's good. You've got to give your kids room for that. You can't smother them. So you can't overprotect. Okay, and, and maybe to go one step further, 
You've got to allow them to be exposed to the world in appropriate ways. Your primary goal can't be to protect them from the world. You've got to expose them to the world because there's going to be a time where you shoo them out of the house. And they need to learn from you how to fight sin, flesh, and the devil. They learn that from you, dads. That's your deal. You have to teach them that. Okay, here's the third way. is by overexpecting. I don't know if you know this, but your kids are not adults yet. Right? So, so they are not wise yet. They are growing in wisdom. They are not mature yet. They are growing in maturity. And if you do not give them space and margin to fail, to act unwisely, to grow in maturity, it smothers them. It provokes anger in them. And I'm not saying don't set expectations. I'm not saying don't have expectations. We should set good biblical expectations for them to teach them that we care for them. But we've got to create margin in that for them to be kids. Or we provoke them to anger. Okay, now think about what this produces. If you, if you model hypocrisy to your kids, if that's your, if that's your deal, then here's what you teach them. That what you say is primary. If you overprotect your kids, here's what you teach them. That their preservation is primary. Okay, if, if you, if you overexpect from them, you know what you teach them? That performance is primary. None of those things are primary. Jesus is primary. And if you want to prevent anger rather than provoking it, you've got to keep Jesus central in the way you deal with your kids. So we don't provoke to anger. Okay, now, now here's the other side of this. He says, bring them up. Okay, this is the goal of parenting. We bring them up. This is what we do. So daddies, that word for bring up is the same word used in Ephesians 5, 29, dealing with you and your wife, when it says you are to nourish her, that you're responsible for her spiritual, her emotional, her, her physical growth and provision and well-being, that you're responsible for that. Okay, and that's a tender, that's a tender word there. It's an affectionate word. Daddies. You need to be cultivating affection in your family. You need to be cultivating that. My dad growing up took me fishing all the time. I mean, we lived on like one, one summer, my sixth grade summer, we caught over 2,500 crappie in one summer. I mean, we spent almost every morning on the lake. My dad is my hero on the water, right? I mean, that guy is unbelievable. And you know why he did that? He was really intentional about fostering affection with me. You know, a lot of kids, when they think of their dads, they think hard thoughts. Now, dads, I want you to listen to this. When, when your kids think of you, do they think hard thoughts? Your kids should not think hard thoughts. They should think affectionate thoughts. When I think of my dad, I think very tender and affectionate thoughts. There's nothing hard in those. And that doesn't mean he's soft. That doesn't mean he doesn't discipline. It means he fostered affection. Daddies, take your girls out on dates. Men, foster affection with your boys. If they like skateboarding, get a skateboard. Get a lot of pads to go with it. You don't have to like skateboarding. You just have to love them. If, if your little girl likes Lady and the Tramp, Make some hot cocoa, get some popcorn, get her some ice cream, get a blanket, snuggle on the couch and watch it. You don't have to like it. You just have to like her, right? 
You need to foster affection. You bring them up. That's a tender term. Okay, now now he also says this. I want you to underline the last three words in verse four. Of the Lord. You see that? Of the Lord. We are to bring them up in such a way that they see God. Okay, now, now we've talked about this a lot in marriage, that mar- marriage is a, is a picture, a display of the gospel. Parenting is also a display. The primary focus is just different. Marriage is a display to the world. Parenting is a display to your kids. Now, dads, I want you to look at me right here. In the way you, like you, you parent, you pastor your home, you are demonstrating to your kids. Parents, look at me. You're demonstrating to your kids what it looks like to live under the reign and rule of Jesus. Now, every uh, parents right here, your kids will know you as father before they know God as father. And you will be one of the deepest shapers of how they look at God as father. Dads, can you feel the weight of that? That you are to parent, pastor, in such a way that you visibly show your kids this is what it looks like to live under God. And parents, if we neglect our kids, if we are hard to our kids, if we are ruthless in how we pastor our kids, we are displaying that that is what God is like to them. And that is not what God is like. He is not ruthless. He is a good father who loves his kid, who fosters affections with his kids. That's what God is like. He is not negligent. He is involved in their life. So are you displaying that to your kids? This is what we're to do as parents. Okay, now he's going to give us two ways that we bring them up. Number one, he says that you instruct them. You see that in verse four? That we're to instruct our kids. So parents, this means that our primary goal is to pass along the things of God. Now, I want you to flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, I want you to see this play out. That this has always been the primary shaper of the family. That the, that the dad, the pastor, that, that the family is the primary shaper for what kids know about God. What they feel about God. The primary shaper is the family. Not the church. We're partners in the church. Not primary. Here's what it says. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Or Deuteronomy yeah, 6, verse 4. Here's what it says. Hear, O Israel. You see this? Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay, so parents, right off the cuff, you see what he's saying here? That you have to possess this. That you have to have a love for Jesus. All of you, a complete surrender to, a love for, a pursuit of Jesus. That you have to possess this. This is step one to being a biblical parent. That you have to look at Jesus and love him. Treasure him. This is first. But it doesn't stop there. Numbers, Verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your kids. Parents, it's not just you possessing the things of God. You are called to pass along the things of God. Okay, now in verse 7, when he starts it out there, he is talking formal instruction. 
that it is specifically planned, that you have a plan for your family, that that you gather your kids for family devotions, that you have an idea of over the next year, this is what we need to accomplish in our family. This is where my kids are. This is where we want them to be. This is where my wife is. This is where we want her to be. This is what it means to have formal instruction for you to diligently teach them to your family. It means you have a plan for how you're passing along the things of God in your family. It means that you're a good pastor. You're a good disciple maker in the home and it's formal. It is planned, specific time. When somebody asks you, what are you doing in the home to disciple your kids, that you have a good answer to that. It's a specific, formal situation here. This is the idea. Parents, you are given the task of forming the worldview, how your kids think and feel about God. And that comes first and foremost through formal time. So is that happening? I mean, you have formal time in the home to teach your kids. Okay, but it doesn't stop there. Look at what it goes on to say in verse 7. Okay, so you shall diligently teach them and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Okay, so we have now moved from formal, you diligently teach them, to now we're informal. This is just teaching as life happens. And this is the beauty of it. Life happens in the monotonous moments, right? I mean, life happens when your wife wants to watch Extreme Home Makeover and you want to watch the Cowboys. Life happens when a little boy down the street steals your little girl's bike. Life happens when, I mean, you just name it here, right? This is just informally when life happens, you teach. This is when you eat, you teach. When you recreate, you teach. When you're fishing, you teach. When you're driving down the road and there's a sunset, you teach. This is when your your daughter asks you a question, you teach. This is the informal, monotonous days, moments of life. Every element, every situation, every circumstance, you are teaching them about God. This is your job to formally train, to informally teach. This is what we are. This is what we do as parents. Parents, if we were just to maybe make this statement or maybe ask this question, if all your kids knew about God came from your life and lips, how equipped would they be to live for Jesus? This is your job. This is not my job for them. It's not their Sunday school teacher's job for them. This is your job. And and listen, I'm amazed at how many people make decisions based off children's ministries for their family. If you want to ask the first question, or one of the first questions to a church, before the children's ministry question, how about that? Before that question, ask this question. Are you training men to be good pastors? That is the best gift we can give your family. That is what your kid needs more than a good youth ministry. It's what your kid needs more than a good children's ministry, a good preschool ministry. They need a good daddy in the home that is actively teaching them formally, informally, instructing them, passing along the things of God. Parents, this is your job in the home, to pass along a vision of God and a mission for their life. This is your role. Pass along a vision for God. So when they hear dad talk about God, they get a compelling picture that dad talks about a God that is great, a God that is in control of all things, a God that is sovereign, a God that orchestrates, a God that has planned the end from the beginning, that they see a a dad talk about a great God. You know what that gives your kid? That helps your kid know that they don't have to control everything. And they hear dad talk about 
they hear a dad talk about a good God that, that actively gives to his children everything they need for life and godliness. And you know when they hear you talk about that, you know what it teaches them about God and about life? That they don't need to look at another, like at a boy or a girl or anything else to find satisfaction. That God has it all for them. And how about a glorious God that they, they hear dad talk about a God that is big and majestic and great and glorious. Like this God that Isaiah 6, when, when the angels um, peered upon him, had to cover their eyes. They hear dad talk about a God that big. You know what it keeps them from doing? It keeps them from fearing other things. And how about a gracious God? I mean, when they hear dad talking about a God that loves them and it's not based on their performance or their beauty but on the unmerited grace of God. You know what that helps your kid do? Not to seek approval in a thousand other things, but to know that they have their approval from God. Your job is to pass along a vision of God. The most important thing you can do for your family is have a breathtaking view of God. And you give them a mission for their life, a mission worth living for. Parents, do you know how easy it is to parent against God for your kids? I mean, we need to be real careful that our goals for our kids align with God's goals for our kids. I'll never forget, I had a, a crew of eighth graders. And I asked them, what, what is the number, and this is in a church, like this is church setting. I asked them, what, what's the number one thing you think your parents want for you and from you? I mean, what would make them happy for you? Eighth graders, here's what they're saying to make the team, to go to college, to get out of high school, to have a good job. Parents, look at me. Your primary job is not to give your kid an education. It's good. I'm not saying it's not good. It's not your primary job. Your primary job is not to make them a great athlete. So you, I, mean, I think we need to ask questions if we are parenting in such a way that we're communicating to our kids that athletics are more important than God and the mission that he's given them, right? I mean, daddies, if, you're, if your kids see you get more excited about a game than about God, there is a problem there. So our primary job is not to make them a great athlete. It's not to make them a success in life. It's not to make sure they get a good job, make a lot of money. It's not your primary job. Your primary job is to hand them a vision of God and then to hand them the mission of God and to spur them on and encourage them to give their life for that mission. Parents, if I were to ask you this question, what if God fulfilled every prayer you prayed for your kids? You know what my fear is? that they would be well-educated, have a good job, have a good marriage, have a nice house and good cars, and that you might be satisfied with that. And I'm just saying this, all those things are fine. They're just not the best things. It's a bad trait. So parents, let's make sure we're parenting toward the vision of God and the mission of God for our kids. Okay, last thing, and then we'll wrap it up. He says we discipline them. We bring them up in discipline. So um, if you could imagine that moment when they handed you your uh, six, seven, eight-pound baby, imagine if that baby came out full-grown, six foot tall. I, mean, I don't even know how that would work. I don't know how football works, but... <laughs> imagine if they came out full-grown, right? They would be monsters. I mean, just think about the heart of a little baby. A little baby has this heart. I'm hungry. I don't care that it's 3 a.m. I don't care my mom's sleeping. I don't even know what daddy's doing. I'm hungry. 
So I'm going to cry until somebody comes over, gets a bottle, and puts it in my mouth. I'm not even going to hold the bottle. I'm going to sit there like this and suck on it. That's all I'm going to do, right? <laughs> this is the heart of a little baby. Okay, now look at me here. That does not just disappear. It doesn't just go away. That's got to be corrected in them and disciplined out of them. If you don't discipline your kids, they're going to be a 30-year-old baby asking for a bottle. You need to discipline them. Okay, now this isn't like a sermon on the methods of discipline, but you need to do it. Okay, now, now let me give you a couple of reasons why. Number one, learning to follow parents is the way children learn to follow God. So if you don't discipline their kids, they're not only not following you, they're not following God either. This is the primary way they learn what it looks like to joyfully and immediately follow God. This is primary. In Proverbs, it says you have to train a child in the way he should go. That means that there is not a natural propensity in your kid to do right. It's to do wrong. You have to correct that. And by correcting that, you are fostering in them obedience to God. So you need to be diligent at that. We need to be persistent at that. Number two. And when you think discipline, this is massive. We want the heart more than we want their behavior. Daddies, it is easy to raise good, moral, legalistic kids. All you have to have is a big paddle. That's all you have to have. I mean, how does, how does discipline go down in your home? If this is how it goes down, then you're raising a, a moral but legalistic kid. You've got the behavior, but you don't have the heart. If parenting goes down like this, stop doing that. Start doing that, right? I said, stop that. Okay, if, that, if that's the extent of our discipline, then we're raising moral kids, but not gospel-centered kids. Well, all we're doing is changing the behavior. And as soon as they get out from underneath your paddle, they'll go pursue whatever they want to. We don't want our kids to just do what we want them to do. We want them to want to do what God wants them to do. There's a big difference in that. And so, and I, I wish this was, there was time for like a Q and A here, but, but all I'm saying is when you discipline, you've got to go for the heart. And listen, when, when your kid's two, tell them to not do that and do that. That's totally appropriate. But as your kid grows and can think a little bit, then you need to make sure you ask questions of the heart. It's not just stop doing that. It's why are you doing that? How can we get the gospel to the motive, to the heart issue? That's the goal. If all you train as a legalist, when they go to college, they're going to go crazy on you. You want them to want this thing. You've got to get to the heart of it. And last thing, we always need to discipline with a view of the gospel. That when you discipline, we always, when we correct sin in our kid's life, we always want to direct them to and point to the cross that corrects all sin in all of our life. So I'm not saying, like, as you send your kid the time out, tell him to stand right there and you open up Romans 3 and give him a monologue. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in appropriate ways, as you discipline them, every time you discipline them, you point to the sin of their heart and you show them that through the gospel, Jesus has paid for those who have faith in him 
for all the sins they previously committed, for that sin you're, you're committing right now, and all those that you will in the future. That we point to that. Okay. Two statements and we're out. Number one. Parents, we are gospel dependent. Do you know, do you know the problem in your parenting? is not technique. You don't need five more books. Primarily. I mean, you may need a little bit of instruction, but you, that's not primarily what you need. The primary problem in your parenting is you. It's sin. And here's the thing with sin. I mean, we've all got this natural tendency to want to place ourselves at the center of the universe. This is the problem in parenting. And the only answer to that problem is the gospel. It doesn't just save you. It transforms you. The greatest thing you can do for your family as a mom, as a dad, is to know the gospel. Not just know the gospel, but know the gospel. That in Christ, we have everything. To know what you have and what you are in the gospel. This is what, this is what fuels a life that reflects the gospel. It's what fuels you as a parent to live rightly before them. So parents were gospel dependent people. Parenting is gospel dependent. Do you know what the problem is with your kid? Sin. You know what the only solution to that problem is for your kid? The gospel. It doesn't just save your kid, although don't we pray for that? If you've got kids in here, pray and plead with God to save your kids someday. The gospel is the only way that's happening. But it doesn't just save them. It changes them. So we're not just praying that the gospel would save them. We're praying that they would learn the gospel from us. They would see the gospel lived out in front of them. And then it would begin to change them. It would begin to, to, to move them from being that selfish little baby that they were created as to this mature man of God, mature woman of God. And it takes the gospel for that to happen. Let's pray. So daddies, this is your question for the morning. Is where are you? Where are you? And I know that, th- I mean, for me personally, this is weighty. This is weighty. And so dad, how, how are we doing here? Are you bringing your kids up to see and savor and know and love the gospel? To know Jesus, are you bringing them up into that? Are you bringing them up in instruction? Do you have a formal plan? This is what's happening in our home. This is what we're doing. This year, this is what we're going to try to figure out. I mean, do you have a plan? Do you know where your kids are? Do you know where your wife is? And you know where you want them to go? Moms, do you have a plan for your kids? Have y'all talked through this? Are you teaching informally? Or are you passing along a vision for the glory of God and the mission of God to your kids? If you're not, parents, I want to invite you to repent this morning. The gospel not only gives you, or not only covers all of your past failures, all of your past failures covered in the gospel. It empowers you to to live rightly in the future. So I want to invite you to repent. This would be a great morning to reestablish, God, I'm going to live in my role as a parent. I'm going to be a great pastor. 
You've given me everything I need. I'm going to be a great pat. So, so I want I want to encourage you to repent. Moms, we might need to repent this morning. If you have loved your kids more than your husband, if kids have snuck into a primary place in your home, I want to invite you to repent. You will destroy them and yourself if you do that. So God, we pray for great grace. God, we need it. God, we need it. God, I pray for grace over our dads. God, I pray for repentance in our heart. God, that we would lay our life on the gospel as we model that before our kids, as we teach them, as we instruct them, as we discipline them. So God, I pray that you might use this morning for that end. God, make us into good pastors. It's in your good name we pray.